You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, wise allies and guys who love surprise and French fries. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 81, and I am your humble host, Karen, and we are your spangly spandex spanning spaniels. <laughs> I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. Now I have a mental image of a, of a spaniel wearing spandex, spandex. Yeah. and it's not good. Spangled spandex. Yeah. Spangled spandex, yes. Yeah. And time for our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hot Shot. And this week we are bringing back 1960s Jeopardy! Hooray! It's a 60s edition of Jeopardy! the board game that we found at a flea market. You might get some of these questions, and you might not get some of these questions. (laughs) Some things change, and uh, some things stay the same. So, especially uh, for Colin, our sports guy, we are going to have a round of sports. Oh dear. So, for this is single Jeopardy, so for $100, everybody get your barnyard buzzers ready. All right. Here we go. For $100, in ice hockey, player who almost never scores a goal. <laughs> Karen. The goalie. Yes. Well, what, what is the goalie? What is the goalie or who is the goalie? Yes. This is, uh, yes. For $200, you know what I haven't even noticed about this game? The, oh, the dollar items question. are no the dollar the dollar amounts are actually not what we're assuming they are. That was the ten dollar question because oh. this is nineteen sixties Jeopardy. Duh. So for twenty dollars, <laughs> oh, which wow. went a, a lot further back then, they wear a red heart on their uniforms. A red. They wear a red heart. heart. Uh, Dana, the Care Bears. No. <laughs> <laughs> a little too, a little too uh, early. Yes, a little this too could be one of those like they were. Remember, this is sports. They yeah. were a red heart on red their uniform. Oh, oh, is it? Uh... Colin. Uh, what are fencers? What are fencers? Oh. They wear a red heart on their uniforms. Yeah, you guys are thinking sports team. Uh, for the princely sum of thirty dollars. Oh. Um, <laughs> country that has played for the Davis Cup every year since thirty-eight. Uh, this, Davis Cup is goal. I will guess what is the United States? It is not the United States. Karen. What is the United Kingdom? It is not the United Kingdom. It is what is Australia. Oh. This question may no longer be accurate. What is the Davis Cup? Davis Cup is tennis. tennis. I believe okay. so. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's the international tennis, yeah. Number of seconds within which a team must shoot in pro basketball. <laughs> Colin. What is 24? What is 24 seconds? Yes. Oh. Uh, and finally, well, this this one should be really easy. Former Giant, now the QB coach for the 49ers. Former <laughs> Giant. And this is in 1960. This is about the end of the 1960s, yeah. He is currently, as in the end of the 60s, the oh. QB coach for the 49ers. I can't Oh, <laughs> man. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, no. Who is Joe Montana? No. No, No, it is incredibly famous football player Y.A. Tittle. Oh, okay. He is a very famous football player, but I would have never known that. I had no no idea who that even was. I just, I picked this category because the name Y.A. Tittle is really funny. He is one of the just legendary, legendary (laughs) football players. (laughs) Okay. Should we have another round? Yeah, yeah. Okay. One more round. Here is a round about foreign phrases. This is your double jeopardy round. All right. How exotic. The dollar mm-hmm. values are doubled, which means that for $20, <laughs> <laughs> this means in the style, 
but we use it for with ice cream. <laughs> Dana. What is a la mode? What is a la mode? All right. For $40. Frenchman's question concerning another's linguistic ability. Dana. What is parlez-vous français? Yes. What is oh, parlez-vous français? Yeah. Do you right. speak French? Right, right. For $60, French, for apparently the only foreign language that I <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. was French. <laughs> uh-huh. um, French phrase for a group's spirit of fellowship. Oh. Colin. What is esprit de corps? Esprit de corps. For $80, sign on a store, caveat emptor, means this. Uh, Dana. What is buyer beware? What is buyer beware? Oh. Finally. For the $100, Latin for something indispensable. Latin? Uh, Latin for something indispensable. Mm, It's going to be something that we all know. We do use this today. Yeah, it's true. Necessary. Oh, uh, 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 that's French. Mm. Go. Care. What is prerequisite? <laughs> no, uh, it's not prerequisite. So the Latin, the Latin pro, phrase pro forma. No, the no, yeah. No, so the, the Latin phrase is sine qua non. Oh, okay. Sine qua non yeah, means yeah. indispensable. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, good job on sixties Jeopardy. Except cool. for the things that totally <laughs> that changed. Totally didn't know. Didn't know. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris, for our nineteen sixties Jeopardy. Uh, this week we hear a good job, Brain. We like to talk about things that will hurt you, whether it's food or crazy animals <laughs> and uh, or stupidity. Uh, so we <laughs> thought this week we'd be more general and we're going to talk about just things that are dangerous. The, the frailty of human life. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yes. like, so this week, it's all about dangerous stuff. Danger! Danger! Alright guys, well, yes, I have something that hits all of the classic good job brain notes all at once. We're talking about weird animals that do weird things, talking about poison and weird things that happen inside of your body, and of course cuisine. So when we think about, I think when anybody right now thinks about dangerous food items... Uh, I'm guessing a lot of people's mind goes immediately, of course, Boo-hoo. to... The oh, blowfish, oh, right? I was, oh, I was going to say razor Twinkies. But I guess, <laughs> a, I guess a close second would be the blowfish, the fugu, the pufferfish. Because um, not a lot of things you would describe as dangerous Dangerous food, food items. Like, who would eat right, dangerous food? Right. Well, that's the right. thing. Most dangerous food, you just don't eat it because it's dangerous, dangerous food. <laughs> right. But people do eat pufferfish, known as... Fugu in, in Japanese, which means river pig. Oh. <laughs> river pig. So before we talk about puffer fish as cuisine, let's talk about the actual animal and like what it does in its daily life when it's not getting eaten. The family of puffer fish is actually many species. They're connected by the unique physical feature that they have elastic stomachs, which they can very quickly at a moment's notice fill with water. Or air. They can Mm. fill it with air in a pinch, but they're typically underwater, and they can fill it up with water. Mm. Either or. And they will assume they will go from looking very much like a typical everyday fish into a ball. (laughs) Into a ball-like shape, a round (laughs) balloon of a fish. Uh Why is this? Well, as it turns out, the puffer fish are 
kind of like the Hufflepuffs of the sea. It's like, <laughs> they're not really that good at swimming. They're not really that fast at it. And when they swim, it's kind of like, it's, they're not even good at really swimming in a straight line. They're just sort of <laughs> okay. awkward. They're not so great. This makes them very attractive to predators because they can't really swim away that fast. In response, they responded by evolving these inflatable stomachs. And so when a would-be eater of the puffer fish comes up, they, they can puff up and suddenly they become this balloon that is basically inedible. Mm. Because if you're a fish, you can't shove this thing into your <laughs> mouth and eat it. You can't keep your mouth around it. There is a there is a video of a seal, I think a sea lion, like trying to eat <laughs> a puffer fish and it drags it up out of the water and it fills itself up with air when it's like above the surface of the water and the seal just it's like trying it's like you were I trying to eat a balloon right yeah. <laughs> you, you can't do it you can't <laughs> shove it into your mouth and the seal tries for like a minute and then he's like well that's <laughs> yeah. not gonna happen right, right. and yeah. then he leaves it alone and then he just walks away and the puffer fish deflates and swims back into the, into the ocean oh, yeah. I thought it was like you know how like when with puma attacks you're supposed to look larger yep. than yeah. you appear yeah it's, that's that's exactly not. what I thought too yeah, yeah. it's not even that, it's not even that big. I mean, when they puff up, yeah. it is like a small balloon. Right. Now it might there might be an element of that, but yeah. it's really because they just become inedible, and the, you <laughs> see that, and you'll just, see the predator just dragging so, it around. So much sense, but I never yeah. thought about it that way. So if they do manage to eat one, that animal would not be very happy about the food that they've just consumed because. Fugu contain very large quantities of a neurotoxin. Specifically, this won't be on the quiz, you don't have to remember this, but it's called tetrodotoxin. Hmm. It lives in the liver of the of the fugu and also in the ovaries um, and the eyes. Wow. So, so three very random body parts. <laughs> yes. They want to make that's sure they got the whole body yeah. covered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's they, where the most they spring it's just sprinkled around throughout the body <laughs> yeah. in different areas. Eyeballs to ovaries, yeah. as, as the as say, the phrase yeah. goes. As they say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So what does it do? Well, we can have a callback to an earlier Good Job Brain episode about electrolytes and things like sodium ions Mm. and how they're absorbed into your body and how you need sodium to live, right? So tetrodotoxin blocks your sodium channels, and it makes it impossible for your nerves to intake that sodium. Mm. And what that does is it shuts you down. Because if your nerves don't get the sodium, they can't fire, which means that nothing works. It's like as if there is no sodium in your body. Yes. Because it's blocking. Oh, and, very and you, similar. And you stop doing stuff real fast. You stop breathing because your lungs can't contract anymore because your nerves can't fire because the sodium oh. is blocked and then you die. If you take too much of it, there is no antidote. They have to wait until it leaves your system and they have mm. to like support you, but there's no antidote uh that like cures you so fugu of course is a delicacy in japan (laughs) people love to eat it because if you prepare it the right way you cut out the liver you cut out the eyes the ovaries and you just serve the meat and as long as there's no contamination you can eat the the meat you have to be certified by the japanese government Mm. you have to take a test that only a small group of sushi chefs pass it's it's illegal to serve parts of the fugu that are not the meat basically because people like to eat fish eyeballs and fish livers Uh, but it's not it's actually illegal to serve those those parts of it got it fair enough (laughs) and if you want to do this it would cost you about two to three hundred dollars for a full meal made up of of fugu 
Okay, so I have a couple questions. Go on. First question. Mm -hmm. I thought blowfish are like porcupines and they have spiky... Some of them do. Okay, not all. Some of them have spiky things, but not all. Okay. Yep. Number two. Go on. In one puffer fish, just how strong is the dose? If you were to eat the whole puffer fish, you would die. Okay. Mm. okay. Yeah. So, like, yeah. how? at what point in the history of eating fugu did they figure out, like, oh, this is really poisonous, we got to be careful. I mean, um, this must go way back. Millennia wow. ago. They have found fugu bones inside corpses or burial mounds that are thousands of years old. Wow. You know, centuries ago, they had, it, on and off, they had banned the eating of it entirely in Japan. When was the last time someone died yeah. from eating fugu? The, is it, like, a long time ago? Nope. Um, people, there are like one or two deaths roughly every year from mm. eating fugu. But the thing is, it's not from like going to a restaurant and having it prepared specially for you by a trained chef. A lot of times it's people who catch them like on their own and they don't, maybe they don't know what it is mm. or maybe they're dumb and they think, oh, I, I know what an ovary looks like. I'll just cut out the ovaries. Uh. And they don't. And that's typically what happens. Fugu however, did come back into the news in 2011 because a woman was eating uh, at a very famous two-star Michelin fugu-specific restaurant in the Ginza, the high-end district in Tokyo. Uh, the man that she was dining with asked the chef um, if he would serve them the liver because you can eat a little bit of the liver mm. and maybe you, you would get a little bit of like a tingling sensation. Oh my God. But yeah. As you've said, Chris, it's the dose that makes the poison. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. So they they'll, like danger. Eat, they'll eat a yeah. little bit of it. Yeah. Flirting with danger. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the guy was a regular customer and the chef was just like, ah, okay, we'll just eat a little bit of it, you know, just for the heck of it. So the guy eats a little bit of it and the guy was fine. The chef eats a little bit of it. He was fine. The woman eats some, and she goes to the hospital. Oh. Uh, she did not die. She was partially paralyzed for oh. a little while. Not not for the rest of her life. Had to go to the hospital and is okay now. So, <laughs> so the restaurant is still open, still serving fugu, but the chef was uh, suspended. The charges are still pending against him. Well, and they but don't he know. did say it's illegal It to is illegal. Serve. He yeah. had broken the law. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. Right, yep. right. Um, the Guardian reported that between 2000 and 2009, there were 338 cases of poisoning, which resulted in 23 deaths. That's still high. It's really... The thing is, but remember, there's restaurants that serve people fugu day in and day out. People are constantly eating, eating this it. stuff. This is where it gets really interesting. Fugu do not make the toxin in their own bodies. For a while, they thought that they prepared that the toxin just came from them. No, what? They get it from eating other animals that have bacteria in their system that produce the tetrodotoxin. Mm. And Fugu Farms have shown oh. that if you strictly control their feed and make sure that bacteria is they not in their feed, the you can raise ah. totally safe Toxin Fugu. Free. Yeah. Well, people well, have convinced themselves that this fish is delicious, even though people are like, it's it's not it's not actually that good. It's yeah. kind of tough. Like that's why it's always when you see Fugu prepared, it's sliced really thinly. Oh. They have to do the sashimi really thin because it's actually kind of a tough fish in the mm. first place. People just eat it for. The piece of history or it, thrill for the people story will tell you that they the actually theater. really really like it and you know there's probably kind of a pavlovian response if you eat it enough you will start to like it wow yeah 
Well, I'll tell you, eating fugu is about 0.33 micromorts. <laughs> micromorts. <laughs> yes. I have a feeling we're going to learn what this is soon. Yes. <laughs> so a micromort is a unit of risk measuring, and it means one in a million probability of death. Oh, okay. So you have a one in 300 million-ish chance of dying from eating fugu. Right. So this is a way of understanding risk and your chances of, of dying. dying. Of dying yeah. by doing doing different actions. Yeah. Like There's all these numbers, all this probability, and so this is a really standardized way like insurance companies use it yes so it was developed by ron howard opie not the director <laughs> not opie a stanford professor oh. <laughs> who does work in decision analysis the choices you make the the behaviors you engage in what is the micromort rating on that that's so, such a cute name yeah for such a not cute thing Micromorph. Yeah, so, no, it sounds yeah. like a Pokemon. Yeah, 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 yeah. So kind of to give you a sense of what one Micromort is, it's like flipping a quarter 20 times and getting heads every time. Okay, yeah. oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay, yeah. So you accumulate every day that you're alive. On average, 39 Micromorts. <laughs> but there are things that add to your Micromort total. Stuff like uh, smoking 1.4 cigarettes adds one Micromort. Oh. These are all things worth one Micromort. You have a one in a million chance of dying doing it, or mm-hmm. it's added to the chances that you're going to die. So drinking half a liter of wine is one micromort. Mm. Traveling six minutes by canoe or six miles by motorbike or motorcycle. Those are both That's one so micro. Weird. Yeah. This is uh, interesting. It's like you yeah. can translate every action into a unit. Yes. That, yeah. it's, that you're going to die. I, I want to ask you guys, what do you think is the most dangerous? Hang gliding, scuba diving, or skydiving? Oh. oh. I'll go with I'm, scuba diving. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go scuba diving as well. Hang gliding. Hang gliding. Yeah. Oh, really? Hang gliding's eight microMorts. Oh. Skydiving seven, and scuba is four point seven two. Oh. oh. Wow. Yeah. Scuba actually the safest. Yeah. This sounds like an awesome game. Yeah, it's fascinating yeah. to look at yeah. the numbers. Yeah. What, will, yeah. what will kill you more? Dying from a lightning strike is only point four microMorts. Doesn't happen that much, huh? Does not happen. One in two point five million chance or so. Dying from a falling coconut is point zero zero four microMorts. Very <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's yeah. some. It's right. still some. Yeah. And so fugu is higher than dying from a falling coconut, but mm-hmm. lower than lightning strike. Okay. Okay. At point oh. three three. Oh. Yeah. That actually makes it seem much. Safer. safer yes yeah because yeah. <laughs> those are two pretty low low uh, low likelihood activities for exactly. me yeah, yeah. <laughs> the coconut yeah and then i was looking i was like animal attacks so i like wanted to find the micromorts and mm. there are a lot of websites about sharks and they they want to make you feel safe about sharks so shark just so you know is 0.0033 micromorts oh so that's a very low chance one in 300 million chance of a shark attack is there a high animal micromort? Dogs are kind of high. Oh. Dog bites. I didn't want to uh, talk about it. <laughs> no, I can I see that because they like they're, yeah. they're more dogs than, you know, walking yeah. around than sharks. You, know, yeah. you encounter yeah. dogs more than yeah. you can. Not, not many sharks out on the street. No. Not, not many. Micromorts. Yeah. Oh, that makes me feel weird. <laughs> so on this show, we've talked a lot about mercury before. Yeah. One of those, like, it looks like it's magical thing and turns out it's really bad for you. Mm-hmm. So... There's another thing that kind of uh, has the same effect of mercury where people were just enthralled and so perplexed by the magical properties of this thing and 
used it in everything. This thing is radium. Oh, so sure. in France, obviously, a Nobel Prize winner, uh, Marie Curie, discovered the, the radioactive element radium in 1898. And she basically set off this big craze in France over radium. Parisians love this stuff because they're like, oh, it's glowing and <laughs> it has like, it seems it's mystical, uh, it's luminous, and yeah. they used it for everything. Curie did show that radium could be used to destroy cancerous cells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then people assumed, oh, it's so good for <laughs> your body. Uh, and it's um, the list goes on. They had makeup with radium and they had radioactive makeup radioactive soap radioactive paints they put it in water so water fountains would glow they put it in water and would drink it (laughs) thinking that it's good for you i'm glowing on the inside (laughs) and there's this thing called the cosmos bag and this is we're going into kind of quack town a little bit (laughs) it's like it's just a cloth bag made out of cotton that has some uh, radium in it. You're supposed to rub around your body <laughs> to make your joints feel nice. There was radioactive water. Basically, it's like a like a container that's lined with radioactive oh uh, lining, oh, and man. you would put water in it, and you would steep, and you would drink it. You know, like like every day <laughs> yeah. tea. Yeah. It it just it sounds so dangerous. It sounds so dangerous, but everybody thought it was a really awesome thing. Currently, right now in France. There's still traces amounts of leftover radium. Oh, really? Yes, and because they used it for paint. Ah. Yeah, they used it for you know things in the factory, and so a lot of has seeped in through the floorboards, through the ground. There's actually an organization that's in charge of monitoring and handling all of the radioactive waste, and they spend a lot of money on decontaminating. Yeah. All this old stuff that was spread everywhere. Like, say, one house, you know, they would have traces of paint that has, you know, that's still radioactive. They say it's not enough to present a risk, mm-hmm. but it's there. It's detectable. And it's gonna be there. Wow. Yeah. To um, decontaminate a house, it costs about 260,000 euros or 300,000 US dollars. Mm. And, and For one they, house. For one house. The mm. agency has a 4 million euro annual budget uh, just to decontaminate houses. Yeah, because it's a public places. health issue. It's mm-hmm, not like, you know, mm-hmm. you're responsible for your own house. It's... For the radium plan. Wow. wow. And it makes me think. Yeah. What is it that we're using now? What is yeah. it that we're using yeah. now? Is right. it yeah. plastic? Is yeah. it ketchup? They put... I don't know. Carbon dioxide bubbles in their water, right. and they would just <laughs> drink it. Drank it. it. They were like, "Oh, it's fizzy." Yeah, every <laughs> time, they, you know? every time it's a lead or asbestos yeah. or radium, it's like, "Oh, those people were so, so dumb." dumb. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's podcasts. They've <laughs> <laughs> people the silent killer. Yeah. Nobody silent knew. Yeah. <laughs> Ketchup. If I were to ask you guys, what product almost was known as Nobel's safety powder? What would you guys answer? Karen. The dude, Mr. Nobel, is the inventor of... Dynamite. Dynamite, that's right. Mr. Alfred Nobel, Uh, yes. uh, Before settling on the name Dynamite, one of the names he was considering was Nobel's safety powder. Totally. That's Uh, one way to spin it, right? Yeah, yeah. For whose safety? Well, so it's interesting, and we'll get there in a minute, but uh, it's, you know, we don't think about dynamite being a particularly safe substance, but in comparison to the explosives that came before it, it is is an extreme improvement in terms of safety. (laughs) 
Huh. Right. So let's back up a minute. Alfred Nobel is a really fascinating guy to me because he's one of those rare people whose name is tied with two radically different things. So Alfred Nobel mm-hmm. went to dynamite. Mm-hmm. Alfred Nobel is also the Nobel in the Nobel Prize. Nobel Prizes. Right. That's right. The the series of prizes given out. That's right. right. You know, he's just another one of these, as we've talked about on the show before, just a modern day Renaissance man from the 1800s. And he was an engineer. He was a chemist. He, he spoke six languages. Oh. He held 350 patents. And he made himself quite rich through his inventions, uh, primarily all in the field of explosives and, yeah. and armaments, really. He came from sort of a family of engineers and inventors. And uh, Father Emmanuel, after several failed inventions, started what became the successful family business, making arms, making explosives. And so into the uh, mid-1800s, they made a lot of money supplying arms in, during the Crimean War. And after the war ended, Dad sort of turned control of the company over to his four sons. So there was Alfred, Ludwig, Robert, and Emil Nobel. Alfred really devoted himself to making explosives safer. All right. Mm-hmm. And so it is sort of the roots of safety powder. So now keep in mind, all right. So for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, really the only explosive that we, we as humans had was. Gunpowder. Gunpowder, right. Black powder. More or less unchanged from the the, the black powder that the ancient Chinese used. It was very simple to make, powerful enough, relatively safe, but it wasn't quite strong enough as we got into the 1800s for some of these large-scale projects that explosives really need to be used for. So they were using, like, more and more of it. More and more of it. That's right. That was the only way to scale the power of it. Around about 1850 was uh, the invention of nitroglycerin. It is extremely powerful. It is also extremely unstable. Mm. Working with nitroglycerin, really, really dangerous. Many deaths in the manufacturing of it, deaths oh. deaths in using of it. Doesn't Transportation. Like it. Trans- yeah. Transporting it, absolutely. Mm. It, was, it was a dicey it proposition. Just, it would just explode. It would, I mean, you know, not spontaneously explode, but close to it. It mm. didn't, you know, it was really... It didn't, it didn't like, take oh. much. It did to, not to take much, to yeah, yeah, to set off nitroglycerin. Mm-hmm. This was, it was so powerful and so profitable that if you were in the explosives industry, this is what you were making. And indeed, the Nobel uh, family made a lot of money manufacturing nitroglycerin. Mm-hmm. Um, but Alfred, in particular, really thought, like, there's got to be a better, safer way there's to make gotta this. There's got to be a better, better way. way. Tired of losing limbs to nitroglycerin. <laughs> it, it was so unsafe that even if you really knew what you were doing and you were a professional, there was a, a high level of danger. Yeah. In fact, younger brother Emil Nobel was killed in, oh, in a nitroglycerin okay. explosion okay. at their factory in Sweden. I killed him and several other workers. Oh. And this striking so close to home. Mm-hmm. Really, sort of drove this Alfred. Was personal. It, yeah. This time, yeah. this time it's, it's personal, personal nitroglycerin. So, without getting too into the real specifics of the chemistry, basically, he came up with a safer way of working with nitroglycerin. So, at, at its at its heart, dynamite does it's have nitroglycerin nitro- okay, in it. Got it. It's sort of just I'll simplify it a lot, but it's, it's soaking nitroglycerin in a more safe, inert substance, a specific type of earth. So, it's a lot more tolerant to heat. It's a lot more tolerant to shock, things like that. So, you can work with it much more safely and it became the go-to explosive so, for all of the massive building projects of dynamite the time. Dynamite is mm-hmm. nitroglycerin plus dirt? Yeah, if you want to really, really simplify it, and okay. I'm sure we'll, like we'll, yeah, we'll trigger some letters from explosive experts, but yeah, right. yeah, it's nitroglycerin huh. sort of infused into a, yeah, into a safe form. Where does that's, dynamite come from? Because <laughs> that's an awesome word. So that was coined by Alfred Nobel. Uh, dyna, the root in Greek, means power. 
Yes. And he kind of just uh, added on the, the might onto the end of it. As in, okay. might. Yeah. Power, power and might. power. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, I think it's... Uh, Dynamite. Dynamite. That's yeah. a right. good yeah. name. Yeah. Good job. Yes. He made a lot of money off of Dynamite. This was the late 1800s. Railways, tunnels. Here's where it gets to some of the interesting personality part of Alfred Nobel's character. He, he was a pacifist. He considered himself... He was anti-war. He was a pacifist. And he, you know, I think like a lot of other people who were in this industry... He had the view that by making explosives more controllable and safer, he could maybe help bring about an end to gruesome warfare. But yeah, there is the obvious contradiction on the face of it of a Mm. man who is an avowed pacifist known more for explosives and armaments and making his money off of war. Now, again, as we talked about at the top, he is also connected with the Nobel Prize. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, when he died, he willed many, many millions of dollars to the the establishment of the Nobel Prizes for physics, chemistry, peace, physiolo- so he, physiology, and literature. So he himself okay. wanted to be like, oh, I want to recognize... Give prizes with my name on it to yeah. people. Yeah. Yep. Well, okay. That's why the peace one's in there, too, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Oh. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And he bequeathed a huge amount of money to this cause. It was uh, virtually his entire estate. 94% of his oh. money he left to the establishment oh. of the Nobel mm-hmm. Foundation. That's kind of cool. Yeah, well, I mean, and they're still running off of, with interest and stuff, they're still running off of his initial bequeathment. No! Oh, it's, it's millions and millions of dollars that he left. Yeah. So now, what I did not know about Alfred Nobel is that all of this was a complete and total surprise to everybody. Oh. Nobody knew until they opened up and read his will that he wanted uh-huh. to create a foundation. That they were getting his 6% uh-huh. of the money. His family didn't know. None of his business associates knew. The only people who knew that he had made this request was the people Lawyer? who drew up his will. Yeah, yeah wow. exactly. Wow. And oh, so, Christ. you know, sure. <laughs> you can kind of see, all right, well, you know, he, he was a pacifist. I can see why he would want to devote, you know, these efforts to recognizing good, worthwhile causes. But there's another fascinating incident that I think really informs his decision to found the Nobel Prizes. So he died in 1896. Okay. Um, But I want to flash back to eight years before then. So this is 1888. And uh, remember, we had talked about uh, his brothers. Uh, So brother Ludwig, who uh, was himself a very wealthy businessman, had other business ventures. He was living in France at the time, and Ludwig died. And the French newspapers reported his death. They covered the story. Except... They got it wrong, and they thought Alfred was oh. the one who had died. Whoa. So the French newspapers were running obituaries for Alfred Nobel oh, and not yeah. Ludwig Nobel. Uh, yep. And they were not kind. So <laughs> this is a plot like right out of a movie where the man gets to read his own obituary. And it was not what, nice. No. So there, <laughs> there was one headline famously, Le Marchand de la Mort est mort. The merchant, the merchant of, of death, death is, is dead. dead. And he wow. was he's reading these descriptions of himself being called the merchant of death. Yeah. And you will never know for That's sure. That's hard to swallow. He's a very private man. He never talked about it. But it, it certainly, his biographers and historians think that this really just shook him. Like yeah. this moment yeah. is like, oh my God, I'm going to be remembered as the merchant of death, even yeah. though I was trying to make things safer. Yeah. So it certainly seems highly, highly plausible that this incident <gasps> drove him him to kind of be like, wow, you know what? I don't want this to be my legacy. I don't, I've gotten a sneak preview of what people are going to say when I'm gone. And sure enough, he was absolutely yeah. right. I mean, whether this was manipulative or, or not, hey, I mean... he's got the money! That's yeah. how he, play, he knows how to play the game. Yeah, he played yeah, the game. He's been good at it. Yeah. I want to be known for something else. I'm going to throw money at it. 
Yeah, that's that's right. my name on six awards or yeah. five awards. And if you say Nobel today, that's most people, the first thing that comes to their mind is, oh, Nobel Prize. Yeah, right. peace and advancing the cause of human endeavors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart. Not blowing people up. <laughs> mm. Wow. Yeah, so that was really uh, a way to take control of your own destiny. That's right. Yeah, yeah, by having a sneak preview of your obituary. <laughs> awkward. Mm -hmm. That's so awkward. <laughs> All right, time for an ad break. So in honor of our sponsor, Squarespace, I've prepared quick trivia, and it's all about squares. Oh. oh. So you guys get your barnyard buzzers ready. Here's some questions about squares. All right, Room for Squares is the debut studio album of what American musician? Is this uh, John Mayer? Yes, it is oh. John Mayer. I was going to throw more hints. Featuring songs like No Such Thing, <laughs> Neon, and Love Song for No One, Dana. Dana needs not your hints. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The address of this place is 4 Pennsylvania Plaza. Four, oh, uh, that must be Madison Square Garden? Yes, Madison uh, Square Garden. Okay. In 1985, I didn't know this, the Garden hosted the inaugural WrestleMania presented by the WWE. Oh, mm -hmm. or, yes. I guess not yeah. E. That was back in the days when it's WWF. Yeah. Yeah. Name me the four different actual squares on a Monopoly board. Uh, Chris. Oh, go free parking, jail, and go directly to jail. Correct. Ah, uh, got yeah. it. Got Very it. good. Everything else is a rectangle. Well, the squares are also rectangles. A little square uh, trivia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. Are squares right? <laughs> trivia. Stephen McDaniel Hillenburg is an American marine biologist. Mm -hmm. He also created what beloved marine creature? <laughs> Or character. Uh, would that be SpongeBob SquarePants? Yes. Uh, He's an actual marine really? biologist. I did not know that. Not, I mean, also an animator and producer mm -hmm. and writer, but he's an actual science person. Well, we know the square root of two is an irrational number. What exactly is an irrational number? It is a it is a number that has like a decimal point and then numbers after the decimal point that, that never end. There, it's not you can't you can't express it completely repeating. writing oh. it out right is there, uh, is there a good definition uh, for this good teamwork it is um, <laughs> any number that cannot be expressed as a ratio so something oh, oh sure yep okay. or, or a fraction yep basically. square pegs is an american comedy series that debuted in <laughs> 1982 <laughs> starring what sex and city actress <laughs> You can take this one, Colin. That's uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, yeah. very young mm -hmm. Sarah Jessica Parker. It's about two awkward, awkward, unpopular girls. And it's so weird that she became Carrie Bradshaw. That's true. Sex and City. All right. Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy are game franchises of what video game company? Please. Oh, I was gonna yeah. I was gonna, you know, not do this one and just like uh, it's it's Square Enix, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Square Enix. And there you go. Some questions about squares. Thank you guys for playing. Yeah, yeah. squares. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Good Job Brain. Smooth puzzles, smart trivia, Good Job Brain. All right. Have you guys heard of the Big Five? And mm. Big Five. I know Big Five sporting goods, right, but yeah. that's probably not what you, you know, mean. It might be related to that huh. term, actually. So this is a term that was coined by big game hunters to describe the most difficult, dangerous animals to hunt. Okay. Oh. In, in Africa. Can we guess yes. them? Oh, yes. okay. Elephant. You guys. Okay, yep. Uh, li- African lion. elephant. Yep. Lion. Lion, yep. Tiger? Uh, no. Oh. I know, this is African I know, element. I know African, hippos yeah. are dangerous. Are hippos on there? No. Hmm. Huh. Um, cheetah? Nope. Mm, they're fast. We're, we're doing bad. <laughs> similar similar to Leopard? Cheetah. Yes. Uh, okay. Because okay. they're fast. So leopard, yeah. lion, elephant. Yeah. Two more. Giraffe? No. Da- dangerous. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. They're very oh, yeah. Dangerous, dangerous to yeah. hunt. Yeah. How about rhinoceros? Yes. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, Of course, yeah. of course. All right, and one more. This one's maybe the most obscure that oh. you never think of. It, antelope? Oh, you're so close. Springbok? Well, deer? Kind, kind of close. Kind of close. <laughs> Wildebeest. Uh, Cape buffalo. Oh, okay. Ah. They have the horns. It kind of looks like a little hair, like the good job brain mustache. Oh, yeah. Like oh, with the it curly looks like, oh, like someone yeah. slicked down their hair. Yeah. Oh, hipster. Hipster buffaloes. <laughs> hipster, buffaloes. <laughs> hipster buffaloes, yes. I'll give you a little bit of info about the different animals, the big the big five. So the African elephant, they're huge, of course. Yeah. But they're also. You could, they can hide in the tall grass. The grass is so tall in the savanna, you might not see oh, them. Oh, you might just get walked on by them. And they charge. They, yeah, they run yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Did you guys ever, like, in science class, it was always an example, if you're being chased by an elephant, you have to run in a zigzag pattern? No. Oh, yeah, oh, really? I think I heard that Because before. they might catch up. So if you run in zigzag because they're so big and clunky that if they're oh, they following keep, they start your zigzag, to turn. yeah, they start. I turning. think that's also oh. how you're supposed to evade snipers. Yeah, and so, gunshots. Yeah. Oh. Snipers and elephants. Yeah. Right, right. Because they have to keep zigzag. moving the gun back. Yeah, and forth. that's right. Serpentine, serpentine patterns. <laughs> All right, so rhinoceros, mm. specifically the black one, is, is the one that's more desirable, but it's so desirable that it's on the critically endangered list now. Oh, no. Yeah, but it is the most aggressive mm-hmm. creature. It is so aggressive. It has the highest rate of mortal combat for any mammal. Like really? when they fight that, with each other, huh. yeah, they're kind of dumb. They've been and no, they just like got a giant horn. horn on their they've, face. They've got, yes. Yes. Often they have, often they have two. The African ones have two. Oh, yeah, they have yeah. a pre-horn and a yeah, right, the prize right. horn. They get you with the yeah. pre-horn and then and they kill yeah. you with the, the good horn. Man, yeah. That, yeah. oh god, I don't even oh. want to think. About, oh, they no. can run uh, speeds up to thirty-five miles per hour. Oh. So you probably won't get away if they're chasing right. you. Then the Cape buffalo. This animal is actually kind of in contention with the hippo as being the 
the most deadly in mm-hmm. Africa. It has killed the most humans. Right. Because they are super aggressive. They look cute, you know, like buffalo you don't think of as yeah. being. Well, they're big and. You imagine they're just like a cow. They're just like something. sad all the time. They're like mean, is the way uh, the people talk about them. They're antagonistic. Well, they oh, it does look like, like they have a giant mustache yeah. on their head. <laughs> they yeah. ambush people. They attack, like, people who are chasing them. They'll turn around. They'll chase them back. Like, they're aggressive and their horns are sharp. And then lions, big cats, the way they stalk people. It's oh, just right. like the way you watch like, a yeah, cat. It's yeah. like you watch your cat killing a yeah. mouse. That's yeah. you and a lion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, like, they creep that's, up. Yeah. They, they can creep up you. on you. Yeah. You don't know them. They're there until mm-hmm. they're about to pounce on you. Right. They are known as apex predators. They're also keystone species. Do you guys uh, know what an apex predator uh, is? That means that there's nothing that hunts them, right? There's uh, nothing that, that predates them. Yeah. Very few oh, or few or no predators oh, okay. for them. Oh, okay. I Not see. counting um, people. Of they're course. still like yeah. Oh, we're not counting people. <laughs> yeah. And then they're keystone predators. You know what that is? No. no. That is, they have a disproportionately large effect on their environment. So if they went away, the envir- their ecology would be very uh, different. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, okay. I oh, because they're controlling major populations because they're killing so many yeah. antelopes. Circle yeah. of life. It's kind of like starfish are also a keystone species. Really? They took them out of an ecology. The mussels would overpopulate without huh. without the starfish oh. there. But other things eat starfish, so they don't have to be an apex predator to also oh, okay. be a keystone. Keystone yeah. species. That's really interesting. Uh, and then the leopard. So they're nocturnal, which adds to the... I, I think uh, an element of difficulty to, to hunt. hunt. Also, they're <laughs> yeah. freaking fast. They're very fast. They can go to 36 miles per hour, a bit faster than the rhino. And they're really good at climbing trees. They can get up a tree, even carrying like a, a carcass with them, a heavy carcass. Yeah, I've seen that on the Nature Channel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, like they'll, well, I've, this is the, like they'll stash prey in trees, right? And come back and yeah. get it later. <laughs> so intense, yes. In antiquities, people thought leopards were a hybrid of two animals. Do you do you guys know which two animals they thought they were? Mm. Cheetah. And giraffe. Uh, it was co- I think. spots, <laughs> 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 you know? I don't know. Well, like, think about their names. Think about the name leopard. Leopard. Leo. Lion. Lion. Lion yeah. Pan- Panther? Panther? Yes. Oh. yes. Interesting. Huh. Leopard. <laughs> don't call them that, though. <laughs> they do not real mad. So most of these animals are, are kind of on the endangered list now. They've been overhunted because they're, they're part of the big five. They're the elite species for big game hunter. The only one that's not endangered or is still okay to hunt is Cape Buffalo. They still, oh. they still kill a lot of people, so it's probably totally fine. Right. To, I bet they're probably we could, tell, we could go on a Cape Buffalo, like, good job brain field trip. We, yeah. No, let's and, not. Oh, really? They're, they're, oh, the, okay. mean, they're, they're the, the meanest. They're the meanest. <laughs> they're mean. So these animals are the hardest to hunt. And because they're the hardest to hunt, hunters want to take that challenge. Yeah. That's right. so weird. They're like, trophy, like why would yeah. I... Like, I want to hunt things I can get. You're showing how wanna... good of a hunter you are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, you put that, you know, lion head up in your den or whatever. You're like, oh, yep. I'm a big man. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We do not advocate putting lion don't heads do up. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, no, don't, do nice. it. No. don't do it. Don't do it. You don't put it in the living room. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> Bathroom. How gosh. Lion head. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, lion. Watch me in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, you put it not facing so the toilet. Anymore, yeah. right? <laughs> Oh, yeah, you know, you pee in the lion's mouth. So you, <laughs> yeah. That would be a great year. Okay, if I open a restaurant, <laughs> you're paying it's a lion, a lion head that you have to pee into. Because it's you like, know ah. it's dead, but you're, oh, you're constantly going to be thinking it's going to yeah. clamp down. Because, I mean, yeah. lion heads are huge. They're yeah, really yeah. massive and right. scary. Yeah. It's like, how far would you, you know. Exactly. Like, how far, how, how close would you get? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
like, you should open the mouth just a little bit so you have to get really yeah, 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 yeah the mouth's just like real close <laughs> yeah right, will we open our our restaurant good job brain restaurant <laughs> good job stomach <laughs> traffic jams tailgating pile-ups oh the joys of driving how could it get worse the federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Well, this episode is coming to a close, but we have one last quiz segment and topic segment. Yes. Colin, you got a... Yes. A, a quiz about I'm keep, something dangerous. I'm keeping it dangerous. I'm keeping it dangerous. So uh, let me start with a question here uh, for you guys. This is, this is one of my favorite uh, just pub trivia questions. Statistically speaking, what is the most dangerous job in American history? Oh. Hmm. Okay. At one point, uh-huh. I think it was swordfish fishing. <laughs> oh. So let me, let me say or this. Or is that urban life? This isn't really a trick question. It is a tricky question. Uh, the answer is President of the United States. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There have only been 44 people to hold the job. Four of them have been assassinated, yeah. and two of them have been shot. Yep. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. So you're looking at 9% of the people to hold this job have been killed on the job. Now... What are the big caveats no. for that? Obviously, this is an extremely small sample size mm-hmm. spread over many, many decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, for you know, since Re- Reagan was shot in 1981, it's actually been fairly safe. Um, so that's sort of the tongue-in-cheek uh, question. But it is, it is true, statistically speaking, mm-hmm. uh, by, the it, by percentage-wise, mm-hmm. yeah, there's no other job in, in America that, that comes close. That's true. <laughs> so, but what I really want to talk about is dangerous jobs, deadly jobs, using real statistical measures. Uh, So the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, is the government agency that keeps tabs on worker deaths, worker injuries. uh, All of these kind of things are in the labor field. And periodically, they will publish their lists of the most deadly jobs in the United States. And their measure is essentially is fatalities per 100,000 mm-hmm. workers. Oh, okay. So they're sort of normalized that way, which you can see why president of the U.S. does not make it onto this list. Yeah. Uh, so I have some questions for you guys here uh, based on America's deadliest, most dangerous Whoa, jobs. I'm curious. And uh, this data is current as of 2012. So okay. this, this is really up to date. So get your buzzers ready. Right. And uh, here we go. After many years of topping the list of most dangerous jobs, this occupation finally slipped to number two on the list in 2012. And I'll give you a hint. There is an aptly named hit TV show about this job. Oh. Karen. Is it the fishing? Yes. 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 Oh, deadliest catch. Deadliest catch. Deadliest catch. Yes. For for many, many years, uh, the fishing industry was statistically the most deadly Mm. occupation in America. Just fishing industry in general? Fishing and fishing workers. And primarily, these are people out on the fishing boats. And I I mean, as you've seen on many harrowing movies and TV shows, there's lots of dangers. You get swept overboard. There's equipment, all kinds of things. Mm. There's an arm. There is a rate of 117 fatalities per 100,000 wow. uh, fishery workers. So that's number two. That's that, that They yeah. finally oh, fell to number okay. two on the list. Okay. So this leads into my next question. 
This occupation now holds the dubious distinction of being the deadliest job in America, with workers facing such hazards as widow makers. Would you guys care to take a get Karen? Is this exercise or fitness related? It is not exercise okay. or fitness related. Because there's an exercise called widow maker. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. Uh, the second most common cause of injury is from chainsaws. Dana. Uh, lumberjack? Yes, lumberjack. Oh. Yes, or logging workers is the mm. more up-to-date term. So but that is now number one. That is now, as of 2012, the, the oh. highest rate of fatalities. Yes, 128 fatalities per 100,000 workers. Wow. And a widowmaker is the industry term for uh, loose limbs or dead limbs up in the tops of trees that fall as you're cutting. Mm. And as you can imagine, in giant trees, you get crushed by a limb or something. It can, right. it can take yeah. you out. More so than a coconut. <laughs> yes, much more well, so than yeah. a coconut. Yeah, it's tough, uh -oh. tough, dangerous work. Although there are rules governing rest periods in this occupation, nearly half of the people with this job report falling asleep while working at least once in the previous year. Dana. Is this truckers? It is truckers. Oh. Yes. Yeah, truckers yep, and yep. truck driving. Uh, and as you can imagine, the leading cause of death in the truck driving industry is, is crashes. And sure. many of them can be attributed to, to drowsy driving. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last one here. We'll close it out. This occupation comes in at a surprising number six on the list of deadliest jobs in the U.S. with workers facing daily hazards like dangerous materials, traffic, and having to work with heavy equipment. Karen. Is it that, like, highway patrol police? Not a bad guess. Mm. I'll give you a hint. Uh, without these workers, your neighborhood would start to smell pretty bad. <laughs> oh! Chris. Garbage? Garbage yes, truck drivers? Yes, yes. Trash oh. collectors, recycling collectors. Number six! Oh, so wow. So what, what, what are the main causes of death? So the main causes are, as I say, getting hit by oncoming traffic. Because they're constantly oh. on major they're, they're roads and traffic. stopping yep. and jumping off of the truck right. and putting things on the they're trucks. They're working and... around trucks that have crushing abilities and yeah. big heavy Moving things. Right. Um, apparently, another big hazard is hazardous materials in the trash. Oh yeah. And this could be as simple as just glass or hypodermic needles. Yep. So no. uh, give a thanks to your trash collector wow. when when you see him or her That's in the true. street. So I happen to have with me the complete list of, of most dangerous, deadly jobs in the U.S. So here we go. Number one, logging workers. Number two, fishers. Number three, aircraft pilots and flight engineers. Number four, roofers, the roofing oh, industry. Yeah. Sure. Yes. Uh, number five is iron and steel workers, mm -hmm. uh, especially in construction. Number six, as we just mentioned, trash collectors, recyclable collectors. Number seven, electrical power line workers. Oh, that makes sense. Yep. Not yeah. too surprising. Sure. Uh, number eight, truck drivers. Mm -hmm. Number nine, farmers, ranchers, agricultural okay. workers. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, that makes sense. And number 10, construction workers. Huh. Yeah. Just construction laborers. Podcast worker, I'm assuming, is 11. Pretty low. Yeah. 11. Oh, oh, 11. Oh. Just missed yeah. the cut. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What are the hazardous conditions? Exploding microphones. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mike, these these lots of electronics. Making Karen mad. Lots of sitting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, sitting's bad for you. Yep. That's right. Repetitive stress injuries from pressing buzzers. Yeah. <laughs> and that's our show. Uh, thank you guys for joining me. And thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learned a lot about micro morts, about fugu, about dangerous jobs, about radium water. <laughs> and uh, you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher on SoundCloud and also on our website goodjobbrain.com and check out our sponsor Squarespace at squarespace.com slash goodjobbrain and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. 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 
traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.